Terry and Jesse show I'm back after a week of studying and preaching the gospel of New Mexico. I am back. I am 10-8. I am reporting for duty, hey, sir. Thank you, Jess. I'm reporting for duty. We're glad to have you back on our team this week. And I know we've got a full show with Sister Didi. We we also have something that, uh, are you ready? I wouldn't think we'd play a, a Whoopi Goldberg comment, but this comment is, uh, she's actually saying something that's true. So we're going to play that in our first segment. But it's going to be a great show. Also, don't forget to keep our in prayer uh, Justice Clarence Thomas. He's in the hospital with some virus, and he's uh, doing much better. But let's keep him in prayer because we do need him on the Supreme Court. He's my favorite <laughs> oh, Supreme Court justice, Jess. That's my he's favorite. the best we got. Well, let's, I do so. Hail, let's do a Hail Mary for him right now. Father, Son, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mother, Mary of Mother of God, God. pray for us pray sinners, for us sinners now. now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Father, Spirit, Spirit, amen. Spirit. Jesse, let's get some soul food in for us, brother. We missed you. You got it. You got it, Terry. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke chapter 4, verses yep. 24 to 30, gospel according to St. Luke. Speak, Lord, yes. your servants Just are listening. listening. Jesus said to the people in the synagogue at Nazareth. By the way, a synagogue is where, they, where, the, where the Jews would hear the word of God <clears throat> proclaimed and preached. Much like for us in the Catholic Church, it would, be, it would be the ambo, the pulpit, the liturgy of the word. Okay. Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was closed for three and a half years and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury They rose up and drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their their town had passed, had been built, excuse me, Mm -hmm. to hurl him headlong. But he passed through the midst of them and went away. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesse, make a quick comment. It wasn't his time. And that's he just performed a miracle there, brother. Yes. The last verse, it says. But he passed through the midst of them and went away. Yeah. In other words, Jesus Christ uses per, bright, uh, divine prerogatives as yep. God incarnate yep. to make, I don't know, maybe make himself invisible, yep. Somehow unable, he got... to be, unable to be seen. Sure. He did something supernatural right. where they couldn't put their hands on him yep. and throw him off the cliff. But I really want to key in on verse 24 where it says no prophet is acceptable. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, he places himself in the company of all these Old Testament prophets, and even John the Baptist. Many of them were rejected and even killed by fellow Israelites. That's what he's referring to. And our Lord, right around from verses 25 to 30, our Lord is recalling the mission of Elijah and Elisha to explain his own ministry. These prophets... They lived during a, during very dark times, kind of like ours, Terry. You think? <laughs> when, when God looked unfavorably upon the northern kingdom of Israel, and he sent blessings to the Gentiles instead. So Elijah was sent to a widow in Sidon. It's, it's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elisha, 
another prophet, successor of Elijah, he cleansed a Syrian leper in 2 Kings chapter 5. So our Lord Jesus Christ, he's declaring that the acceptable year of the Lord will likewise be a time of blessing, even outside of Israel, just like these two Old Testament prophets, again, brought blessings to Gentiles outside of Israel, our Lord Jesus Christ is doing the same. But because this is not part of the Jewish narrative, you can't bring blessings to those outside of Israel, outside of the covenant. As a result of that, our Lord basically collided with, with, with the Jewish establishment and with the Jewish perspectives that anticipated only punishment for the Gentile nations. No blessing. Jesus came to reverse the order and show that God even came to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring blessing to the Gentiles as well. And so, again, the Jews couldn't wrap their mind around that. They thought that the Gentile nations only were going to get punishment. And then finally, in verse 29, where the Bible says that, you know, Jesus Christ was able to, He passed through the midst of them and went away. Uh, again, the crowd probably, what they were probably trying to do by putting their hands on Him and grabbing Him, they wanted to stone him to death because they considered him, the establishment considered him a false teacher. And in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 10, false teachers in Israel are called to be stoned to death. But instead, he used a supernatural power, went through them in some way, shape or form. And he went back to Capernaum. That was his, that was the, Jesus's headquarters. That's where his Galilean ministry was established. And, uh, and and that's where, again, that's that's next to the Sea of Galilee where the fishing industry was, was thriving in Israel. Christ didn't come necessarily to be a fisherman. He came to be a fisher of men. Amen. Jesse, let's bring Fulton Sheen into this room. Full Sheen ahead. This is on faith. Faith is not believing that something will happen, nor is it the acceptance of what is contrary to reason, nor is it an intellectual recognition which a man might give to something if he doesn't understand it, or which he can he can reason can he reason not improve. Here's the key: faith is the acceptance of a truth on the authority of God revealing it. Faith is a supernatural virtue, folks, whereby, inspired and assisted by the grace of God, we will believe is true those things which He revealed, not because the truth of these things is clearly evident from reason alone, but because of the authority of God who cannot deceive nor be deceived. Jesse, I apply that to our church today where we have people who don't believe the Bible is true when it comes to marriage between a man and a woman or the belief about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. You have to have supernatural faith to understand these things. Your thoughts? You're right, Terry. And just to prove the point that you're making, yeah. in and during June in the Catholic Church, yeah. June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. But the secular humanists in this country, under Barack Obama, yep. they've proclaimed June to be Pride Month. Well, guess what? Uh, uh, apparently, uh, American East Fatimus is sending us uh, an email uh, yep. and warning us that in June, you have hundreds of Catholic churches around the country that are going to be celebrating pride masses. And so as Catholics, uh, if you know any parish in your, in your diocese that's going to celebrate a pride mass, that's a homosexual mass, uh, promoting sodomy, 
Uh, it's it's your duty to con- to tell that pastor, Father, what are you doing? What do you mean having a pride mess and having pride banners here in front of your church in the month of June? Uh, this is the infiltration that we're talking about. And every Catholic, we're called to do prayers in reparation. And if your pastor's doing something like that, I would confront him ASAP. And I would say, Father, uh, it, this is something that's not Catholic. And I'm going to withhold my money and tell others to withhold my money if you participate in this Pride Mass during the month of June. Absolutely. And Father James Martin, the Jesuit, is the big promoter of this. I saw it on the Internet. He's been promoting. He's saying, ask your pastor to do this in, in the month of June. And see, this is a battle we have right now going on. Hey, Jess, I want to make sure we get this clip. Uh, tell us about this clip you're going to play, because I can't believe we're playing it from yeah, her. Uh, yeah, uh, um, Whoopi Goldberg is <laughs> somebody who we never talk about on the show because so. she's a leftist ideologue. She's part of the view. It's a, it's a four feminist women that are very anti-men, anti-God, anti-patriarchy. Right. And they're, they're on, they have a huge following with the left. She actually said something that I agree with. That's Amen. why I said, man, I need to play this. <laughs> she actually said, she admitted that vaccines are killing kids. That's right. Guess what? She made a true statement, kind of like Caiaphas in the New Testament, where he says, it is better that one man die than for, than for a whole nation to die. Caiaphas said something prophetically true, referring to Christ. Whoopi Goldberg says something that's that's true that we've known for two years, Terry. Mr. Engineer, can you play Whoopi Goldberg no, saying the truth? It's silly now. You know, you have to have your mask, you have to have a card, you have to have a booster, they scan your head. <laughs> like you're a cashier and I'm a bunch of bananas. <laughs> I'm not bananas, you are. That's not really funny to people who have lost their kids mm, to no. this vaccine or people who have lost family members or dear friends to this. People who have lost their kids. Mm. She wow. just admitted people who have lost their kids to this vaccine. Again, even a broken clock is, is correct twice a day. And that was a, a Freudian slip on her part. She doesn't realize that she just admitted something that you and me have known for two years, Terry, yep. that these vaccines, uh, we, we call it a death vax here in the Terry and Jesse show. Uh, it's, it's a slow kill, Terry. And she just admitted it on The View. And you know, Jess, with 240 funerals a year, I've seen those funerals for kids. And it's very sad. Four or five-year-old kids in their little communion dress, white dress, and they're in that casket and they didn't have to be there if they didn't get vaccinated. It's so sad. Hey, Jess, when we come back from the break, Sister Didi's going to be with us. This is one of my favorite nuns. She reminds me of a Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She's got some authority in her. She lives her life as a bride of Christ in a very powerful way. And we're going to talk about what's going on with Sister Didi and how she's suing the Washington, D.C. regarding the COVID mandates and what she's doing to help people. Physically, and more importantly, spiritually, here on the Terry and Jesse Show. Stay with us, family. You won't want to miss our interview with Sister Didi. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're back to Terry and Jesse's show, and we're trying to connect with Sister Dee Dee Byrne. Uh, until we connect with her, I'll just say a couple. Of th- I-, I met her probably about a year and a half ago. 
Uh, I spoke with her at a conference, and we hit it off. And I'm trying to look for her phone number on my phone. I just can't <laughs> find it. I thought I thought I got her number. He's my kind of girl, Jess, from what I can tell. Well, the first time I heard of her, <laughs> Terry, was when she uh, when when she spoke at the Trump rally mm-hmm. at, at a Trump rally, and her speech was phenomenal. Oh yeah, she said some powerful things. Yeah, one of the things I'll never forget, she said during her speech, and, and she said that uh, uh, she says she held up the rosary. And first of all, you know, you know what type of courage it takes to hold up a rosary in front of a mainly majority Protestant audience in America at a political rally. So she holds up her rosary and she says words to the effect of, you know, I want everybody to have uh, I want everybody to be pro-life because I want everybody to have eternal life. Exactly. You talk about I mean, we're not she's not speaking at a Catholic venue here. She's speaking to the American public at large at a presidential rally. Uh, that's when I said, wow, there is something different about this woman. I also found out that one of her uh, one of her brothers is a bishop, is a current bishop in the United States. In fact, I met him at the same conference that I spoke with him. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, Bishop Byrne. I forget where he's from. But uh, she, he spoke at a conference. Uh, Sister Dee Dee Byrne spoke at a conference, and so did I. And that's where I met her. And I, I, I obviously got her email, and I've been wanting to get her on the show. But uh, she's been, she's been in the news lately, Terry, because well, first of all, here's what's fascinating about her. Yeah. Okay. She's a, she's a retired army colonel, because so she served our country. That's up there. Okay. She's a board certified surgeon. Wow. And she's a Catholic nun. And most importantly, she's a bride of Christ. Yes. Yes. This woman has lived like two or three lifetimes. Really? She, yeah. She, she's done more than, you know, oh, yeah. uh, than the average person will ever do in one lifetime. Get this. A bride of Christ, like Terry said, a nun, mm-hmm. a board certified surgeon <laughs> and an army colonel. That's up there, man. Woo. Yeah. So uh, this the, and I'll tell you, Terry. Uh, she's very motherly, but very firm. I, I would imagine again, kind of like in the footsteps of Saint Teresa of Calcutta. Yeah. You know, when when that that speech she gave in front of Clinton and <laughs> at the breakfast, yeah, at the Breakfast Club with a, yeah. a lot of yeah, with a lot of leftist politicians. Uh, also in the footsteps of of, of uh, Mother Angelica. Yeah, kind of a again a kind woman, but again a, kind of a no nonsense nun. She's she's from that same school of thought, very loving, but very firm in, in what she believes. And Jesse, we I also before we talk about what she her battle is, I also want to ask her about her mom and dad and how she was raised and how she found her vo- vocation because I know that will inspire people. But Jesse, uh, we'll wait until she comes on. Please God, we'll get her on. But Sister Didi's medical license, uh, first of all, was taken away and now it's restored. But can we if we if we get into if can we get into that or should we wait to see if we can get her? Because this story, she, you know, it's kind of like this, Jesse, in my opinion. This is a, a nun you don't want to pick a fight with. No, because she's, she's not going to take it standing down. She's going to go and go after you, and that's what she did. And she, you know what? She got her medical license restored. I want her to tell the story. But I'll tell you what, they found out they ran into the wrong nun. Yeah, they did. Right now, I'm, em- I'm emailing her and Richard O'Bannon, our engineer. She wants to know. So, Richard, I just sent you the email. Sister Dee wants to know if it's Skype or Zoom. Oh, jeez. 
Yeah, so she's she's We're ready gonna to get start. her. We're, I want to hear her story, Jesse. This is yeah, folks, so, you're gonna love this. Yeah, so I just text. I mean, I just emailed Richard, our, our engineer, yeah, and, and Sister Didi. So they're, they're both on the same email, and she wants. They'll to be coming in then. Yeah, she wants to know about Skype or Zoom. So absolutely. Yeah, Terry. Again, th- uh, here she's, she is. She's my kind of girl. Here, Terry. <laughs> here she is. Okay, well, I don't see her yet, but you do. Okay, great, Sister Didi. Are you with us? I, sorry, I, I'm sorry. I uh, was looking. I didn't see, recognize CRC. Yeah, Catholic Resource Center. God love you, I'm sister. I'm sorry. I was looking for Jesse's name. No problem. <laughs> no problem. I'm part of the CRC, sister. I'm part of the Catholic Resource Center. Yeah. But okay. welcome, welcome to the welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. Uh, you are definitely one of the most <laughs> inspirational nuns I've met in my lifetime. I put you in the category of Mother Angelica and, and Saint Teresa of Calcutta. You're just uh, you're 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 just a a, a, a clear voice in, in a time of, of moral relativism. You're a very clear voice. The first time I saw you was at the RNC convention. I almost fell off my chair. I said, is this a Catholic nun? Especially the last phrase where you said, I'm not just pro-life, I'm pro-eternal life. I almost burst I into tears, it. me and my wife in, the, in our living room, when we heard a Catholic nun in front of an American audience, mainly of Protestants around the country probably, and the way you just boldly proclaim your 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 your, your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and and you didn't shy away from any Catholic issues, sister. W- welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. Tell us who's the one that invited you to speak at uh, at President Trump's uh, at at the at the RNC convention. How did that happen? Um, first of all, if you hear you hear drilling in the back, yes. Good. Sorry, not very much. We're good, sister. Oh, good, good. good. Okay. Um. I think the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll tell you why I say that. I love it. Because, um, let me just close this door real quick. Sure. Sure. Because I was, um, you know, it was during, it was August, it was right before the election. And I was um, really distraught about, you know, some of the rhetoric going on with the, uh, you know, with President Biden's um, mantra of being very Catholic and everything. And I was really concerned because, you know, when you re- remember the the data that said that 30% of Catholics believe in the real presence of the yeah. Blessed Sacrament. So I felt like if 30% believe, only 30% believe, that means 70% really don't have a deep faith. So they're probably going to believe a lot of the rhetoric from the, the, the commercials and everything regarding President Biden being such a good Catholic. So I sat in the chapel because I'm very involved with the pro-life movement. And I, as a doctor, I do the abortion pill reversal. And I do, Good. we have um, a group of frontline mm-hmm. prayer warriors who, who uh, bring women who have said yes to life to our convent. Cause we have like a pregnant, we have a ultrasound where we can try to talk women out of abortions. Awesome. And so, so I was there praying and I was just really distraught. And I said, Lord, you know, I'm not doing enough for you. And I meant that completely, with complete sincerity. And uh, I said, Lord, you know, let me be your voice in any way you want me to be. And about two hours later, the White House called me <laughs> and asked if I would speak at the Republican National Convention. And I really didn't know the, the repercussions or really exactly what that meant, because I, I'm, I don't really focus on the, those, the conventions too much. I know in my head who I'm going to vote for. And though, so I don't go beyond that. But um, uh, when they asked me, I was a bit stunned because I said, you won't believe 
the person who called me, I knew she's a consecrated virgin. Present time, Trump had a lot of very devout Catholics, not just Christians, but devout Catholics. This one was a Opus Dei consecrated virgin. She was a, a, one of his of his speech writers. Awesome. And wow. um, so I, I, I said, can I speak on the sanctity of life? And she said, you sure can. <laughs> it wasn't a done deal, really. She said, give us a few days. We're, we're going to we're just figuring out what we're going to do and I'll get back with you. And so after about four days, I didn't hear anything. I said, well, I said my yes, Lord. Now I'm off the hook. <laughs> and then the, the fifth day, uh, I received a call from a speechwriter to help kind of weave my words. Um, so I sounded articulate. And uh, so it was really, it became a reality at that point. Wow. And I was, I was very excited about having that opportunity. It was just four minutes of my life, but I wanted to be able to say to the world as a doctor, because there's always so much confusion, I wanted to say to the world that life begins at the moment of conception. Amen. No ifs, ands, or buts, because they're hearing so many things now. The, the, the definition has changed depending on how much money people want to make. So mm. uh, that's I was really grateful to the Lord that I had that chance to do that. Awesome. Sister, I want to thank you for serving our country. Tell us how you uh, you uh, served our country, uh, your retired U.S. Army colonel. Uh, when did you start the, 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 uh, the, the service, and when did you retire? Okay. Well, I, I joined as a medical student. I'm one of eight kids. Dad and mom, very wonderful parents, wanted to give us two things, our faith and our education, no matter how how much education we were <laughs> achieving, um, they dad wanted to take care of that. Now, my father was a thoracic surgeon, so great role model. Mom and dad were daily mask goers, daily, as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. um, I'm one of eight kids. And uh, so so I wanted to do something for my part to help pay the, the tuition. I went to Georgetown. I was accepted to Georgetown. In those days, the Georgetown was always more expensive than the average school, but in those days, it was only $8,000, hmm. and then it bumped up to all the way to $15,000. But the, So I originally signed up, not really for altruistic reasons, but it was, you know, it wasn't anything that I was against. They were offering, and I accepted, and my parent and my father said, you don't have to do this, but I, I said I wanted to. So that's how I ended up into it, and I initially did family medicine residency, and served our, our country in far off places like Korea and, and the Sinai Peninsula initially to get a flavor of missionary work because I'd been discerning religious life since I was a little one. Wow. And um, after that, I, I did some missionary work and discerned more and wanted to follow my heart, which was surgery. So I went back to do a general surgical residency, finished at Georgetown in 97, and little did I realize I was still in the military. I was an active reservist. So I, but I kept getting all these letters from the army that I didn't even open. I just threw them away because I said, oh, I'm not going to be staying in because I'm, I want to go into religious life. God's called me this. <laughs> but then in 2000, and I still hadn't found a community that I felt was something, you know, because religious life is like married life. You have to, you know, you want to get married. You have to find the right, you know, man. <laughs> exactly. So I just, um, 
it was about a two year span between 2000, 2002 that I, and I had completely um, let, try to let go of our Lord, you know, let go of my own will. And in those two years, I did a lot of overseas missionary work with the Catholic Medical Mission Board, you know, going to uh, Kenya a lot through the, to the um, St. Lucia and uh, Haiti, places like that. And then um, after 2000, uh, well, I, I met the little workers of the Sacred Hearts via a priest who was a um, retired, well, he, he had, was in Vietnam. Sister, Beautiful priest. Sister Didi, hang on. Sister, sister, we got to take a quick break. I hear the music. I want to hear, and I know our listeners want to hear, about that vocation to becoming a bride of Christ as a medical doctor and, a, and, and in the Army. Great story. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. We're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, we'd be billionaires. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We've got Sister Dee Byrne, one of the most fascinating nuns in my lifetime. <laughs> Sister Dee, you're, you're telling us about your the way uh, you went for the military. You met the the order that you're presently with right now. Can you continue sharing with the audience uh, this fascinating journey of faith that you've been through? Well, I, as I mentioned, um, I met a priest who introduced me to the sisters, and it, it was not even anything that I would be looking for. They were little Italian sisters that were school teachers, and I didn't realize that they were um, also did other things. And we discovered as I got to know them better, it was basically when I had kind of completely emptied myself to what my will was and opened it up to God's will. And I, I, during those two years, I mentioned I was away a lot overseas. And so I was spending about five months in Kenya. I was along the, the northern border between um, Kenya and Sudan in the Kakuma area working. I was the only doctor there. And I, so I had a lot of time. A, a priest had given, allowed me to have adoration every day. I spent hours before the Blessed Sacrament. Wow. And it was there that I finally said, okay, Lord, um, whatever you want. I, I thought you want me to go, go into religious life, but if you just want me to be a lay missionary, you know, so be it, whatever you want. Um, but cause I had just mentioned before I had, um, uh, met a few medical communities, uh, but they were very liberal in their ideology. They were, uh, um, you know, they didn't have any qualms about giving out birth control pills and oh. things like that. And I had met with, you know, Cardinal Hickey to go back a little bit. Cardinal Hickey was our cardinal here in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And I was a chief resident in the cardiac surgery service. And he was my patient. I scrubbed in on his open heart surgery, held his pulsatile heart, managed him postoperatively for the nine days he was there. And we became very close. And it didn't hurt that my youngest brother, who Jesse <laughs> met, was a priest in the diocese at that time. And uh, so we had this extra little bond and he helped, he helped me through, you know, it was basically a spiritual friend for me. And he basically said, these sisters are um, sisters who are feminists in their ideology. And so I just felt that God was calling me to help kind of 
promote the medical aspect of a religious order that was Christ-centered and Eucharistic, very much Eucharistically centered that were traditional. And the little workers of the Sacred Hearts were over 130 years old. Our founder's been beatified. He's from Southern Italy. He was beatified at, um, and given, you know, because of his, just his uh, faithfulness as a holy priest. And then we have a foundress. She's incorrupt and she's venerable. And so we have a kind of two double headers. They're awesome. watching over us. Awesome. And our sisters are pretty much the same worldwide. So, you know, in India, Albania, Argentina, and here in the USA and Italy. So that we're not real big. We're about 400, you know, in um, the numbers, but we're very faithful. And so I was really attracted to that. So, you know, the other thing I say about those little workers is that they were uh, so little and so humble that when the Vatican II hurricane blew over, all they felt was a little breeze on their head. Awesome. Because, because <laughs> when they were told to modify the habit, all they did was just remove a little red stripe on the black habit that you, you know, you saw the black habit I wore at the RNC. Yes, beautiful. And um, so that's our, our, our habit. I'm wearing kind of a junkie habit right now because I was running around. But... Um, kind of a work habit, but that's our official habit. And all they did was remove a little red stripe. And then they said, that's our modification. And then a very, you know, uh, firm Calabrese, Southern Italian, uh, headstrong way. So we're not going to budge. I love it. That was, yeah, that was that was very reassuring to me. Uh, you, but I can see what, what brought you to that order, the orthodoxy of the order. Uh, yeah. Sister, can I shift gears? Because the National Catholic Register... Uh, has this article about you and the medical license being restored after temporary religious exemption from the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. So tell us what's going on. And uh, as I said before you came on, I wouldn't want to uh, go to court with you because I, I think you're a, you're a tough <laughs> nun. So tell us what's going well, on with this. It's just, first of all, I think trouble follows me everywhere because <laughs> just when I think I can lay low, something new happens. I love it. But you, you know, I, I do free surgery <laughs> yeah. for the poor. Uh, worldwide, but here in DC, I take care of a lot of refugees from overseas. God bless you. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just saying that because I, my, I had put out a religious exemption mandate for the vaccine, which I felt from the get go, something deep inside of me said, don't take this. And, um, and I mean, when they first were trying to mandate it. Mm -hmm. And so I had written a religious exemption in September. And then again, they asked for clarification five months later in January. And then in February, I received a letter uh, on a Saturday night stating that I had five days to get vaccinated or I would lose my license. Wow. So the options they gave me was vaccination or lose license. And I took the third option being from Irish heritage and that is we'll fight back. <laughs> I love it. And so, so we, but again, I said, how do I go about this? So the next morning I was sharing with some friends this, we have a mass in the convent every day, people come. For mass. I was sharing this and this pro-life lawyer from New Mexico, who's wonderful, um, called the Thomas Moore lawyers. Great group. And they took the case on and um, and a friend of mine who's a lawyer from Canada, she helped kind of weave the my complaint. Mm -hmm. And uh, the and then when we dropped the suit about a week and a half ago, yep. which was a Wednesday, they wanted us to go public and I, so I, I, um, 
reached out to Raymond Arrero. I know him personally. Yep. And he's good friends with Laura Ingram. Not that I want to make this a, you know, I want to be public per se, but we felt that this is going to how, be how we could fight this battle. Amen. So, so it didn't take long. They responded back about five days later stating, okay, we're going to give you the religious exemption for five, for till September. Mm-hmm. The lawyers went back and said, that's not going to be good enough. I love meanwhile, it. by the way, I couldn't practice medicine. Wow. After five days, I was I had to close the clinic, stop the wow. surgeries. Oh. I couldn't even put a Band-Aid on somebody without them you know, possibly penalizing me. So it was really um, an interesting thing uh, for me to go through. And then and I was happy. I was the easiest target. I mean, I was the, the dumbest target for them, I think, because I had nothing to lose. And I was one of the first that they they had refused with this religious exemption because many of my friends who've done the same thing had not heard. So why they went after me first, um, I can figure out maybe they didn't, you know, I was on their radar for the, the RNC, but I was the worst person for them to choose because I was not afraid to fight back because there's nothing they can take from me as... <laughs> Chastity and obedience. <laughs> yeah, it's Catherine Siena or or Joan of Arc said I have nothing to lose if, as long as I have Christ with me. You know, man, amen, sister. You are inspiring our listeners and myself and Jesse. And you know, one of the things that you documented about the vaccine and that everybody should know that it's tied into abortion. And you went to say at one of your statements, you said you went on to call the unborn the largest marginalized group in the world. Followers of Christ, you said, are called to stand up for life against the politically correct, and I love this line, the fashionable of today. It seems to me that you're standing up for the little ones, and I think um, I appreciate you doing that, but I think you're inspiring many others to say, wait a minute, what about the unborn? Is that really something that you feel like this is all about, the most, the smallest members of our society? 100%. I think that the womb, the, the child in the mother's womb is ground zero for all that's happening in the world. Um, it's sort of like when you drop a little pebble in a pond and you see the rippling effect going on with this. All the things that have occurred from transgender ideologies, from the marriage breakdown, the lack of, um, of reverence for the Blessed Sacrament, um, people not going to church, um, you know, the, the, the wars that are occurring, euthanasia, uh, all these things are, as a result, the devil has just been reeling its ugly tail because we have lost sight of the most, the littlest one, you know, because life begins at the moment of conception. Amen. And when you annihilate that, and now it's going on beyond you know, uh, saying that after a child is born, you can still let the child die. I think so. So 100%, it's the annihilation of the child's womb in the womb that has rippled the effect of all the, the satanic things that have occurred in this world. And so when we close a blind eye to what's going on with these, uh, that, these new and still experimental vaccines that we really don't know what's going to happen in the long run, and COVID now is in the rearview mirror. So, you know, mandating something that's experimental to someone who we don't even know is going to affect the bodies is, um, I just jumped to another concept of mandating the vaccine from the child's womb, but I think all of it's inter- 
interrelated. It is. Sister, why why is it that other medical ethicists in our church, they can't see the connection? It seems like if they downplay it, they say, oh, this happened 40, 50 years ago. Then they have other doctors that are saying, no, in order for you to have a viable vaccine, a potent vaccine, it has to be done with fresh aborted fetal cells. And, and so it's one or the other. This either happened 50 years ago and we like saying, okay, well, we're, you know, remote. That's remote participation. It happened a long, long time ago. Then you have other whistleblowers like from American frontline doctors just saying not at all. These are fresh aborted fetal cells that they're using for potency for these vaccines. Uh, where do you stand on this issue since you're a doctor? I think I think that um, although I'm not an, I'm far from an expert in anything, but and especially vaccine um, uh, making of vaccines, but anytime a child is is uh, used, sorry my phone thing. It's okay. Anytime a child is um, being used for any reason, mm-hmm. even if it was 50 years ago, it doesn't make it any any less amen severe. And and also remember these these um, stem cells have to be renewed it's like this the stem cell is the the age of a human being so after about 70 years you have to renew this and i want to just give a thank you a shout out to the children of god for life website it's been my go-to place absolutely sister we're going to come right back again talk more about the unborn here on the terry and jesse show stay with us family welcome back to the terry and jesse show To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're back with Sister Dee Dee Byrne. I met her probably about a year and a half ago at a conference and her brother, who's a bishop. And uh, I told my partner, Terry Barber, when I came back, I told her about this. I said, hey, St. Joan of Arc is amongst us. Her name's Sister Dee Dee Byrne. (laughs) Sister, you were talking about the children of God. Yes, Terry and myself, we use that website oh, to, give, absolutely. to give people uh, good information. Uh, God bless them. for, for uh, they're, they're a source of, of, of truth and they're a source of moral clarity. Um, my, my pastor, he's been in the, uh, in the National Guard and in the Air Force combined 30 years. He just retired this year, he says, because they're trying to force him to take the jab. He's a major in the National Guard. He says, I'm not going to do it. So he just resigned this year or retired this year a few weeks yeah. ago. As a result of this, uh, again, uh, it, these are just uh, uh, unjust mandates that are coming from the federal government. Uh, so, so, sister, what what do you say to the average lay Catholic that's uh, being forced to take this uh, this experimental jab, this experimental vaccination? Do you think that Catholics should again, once again, appeal to their well formed moral conscience and say, you know what? Uh, I, I, this is something that my moral conscience does not allow me to do. It, it, was that one of your arguments? Because I know you use one of the top lawyers. You use the the St. Thomas More Law Center, and you use uh, uh, Ferraro. He's a yeah, good friend. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, you 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 went to the top of the food chain. Actually, was that your argument against the federal government? Oh, um, well, the I use the, the religious exemption argument about my it was my deeply held moral value okay um that i did not want to receive the vaccine because there was uh either i call it dirty hands whether it was 
tested by or made by a board of fetal tissue, it was tainted. And it was, uh, for me, uh, because it was experimental, we didn't even really know how well they would work. I just chose not to go that route. And that was my argument. And, and they rejected that, you know, rejected me as a religious sister. And so they rejected the whole idea. So I felt this was a battle with religious freedom for religious freedom. And I've written many letters for people, medical letters stacked like this <laughs> to help support them for them. If they have a medical issue Yes. or I help them and guide them give them a few templates for the religious because really we should speak for ourselves when it comes to the religious issue. Um, although I've had people reach out one woman who was actually a Jew who said the, her work wanted someone to verify that she was a religious Jew. So I asked her, I asked her to pick up the phone and she was wonderful. We had, we just <laughs> got together. So I wrote a letter that she was a, you know, a very devout Jew. I mean, these are crazy things we have to do, but we have to... <laughs> Whatever it takes, sister. Sister, you pointed out also that there was a Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which President Bill Clinton signed back in 1993, and you argued, argued that the government was forcing uh, you to violate her, your own conscience that you deeply held, and, um, and that further a compelling government interest in using the least restrictive means possible. What, what, were, what was going on there? Because it seemed to me that... Uh, they didn't want to want to address any of your concerns until it seemed like you had lots of prayer, people praying for you, and you went after them legally. Um, what what was it that made them? Res Do you know what got them to actually respond to you? Yes, I think Laura Ingram and Raymond Arrero. I mean, I think I think maybe a little public mm -hmm. outcry yeah. helped a lot. I, I'm because I don't think they could have cared less. Yeah. That's they stayed real really. They basically their response to me about why they gave me their my religious exemption was not because they went, oops, you're a Catholic sister, of course. We should respect. No. They just said, Oh, the, the cases are dropping, hospitalizations are decreasing. So we will grant you your religious exemption. So it really wasn't anything related to my spiritual yeah. life or religious exemption. It was just their way of weaseling out of it. And that, like I said, they first gave me to September. And now they've given me to um, March of 2023. S Sister, let me jump in one more thing about what you served over. I think you said 400 patients with COVID-19. I think mm -hmm. I heard that with Raymond's interview. And you gave them medicine that kept them out of the hospital that was very inexpensive. I want to ask you, I, I'm not putting you on the court case here. I'm just asking, is it tragic? Because I consider it tragic that our government would not allow uh, many other physicians to do what you did. Am I on to something? Yes. Well, I mean, Dr. Peter McCullough, who's uh, one of my heroes, mm -hmm. um, spells it out a lot. He's really smart. And he says that he knows the data. Mm -hmm. And he is the one, he was someone who'd been vaccinated. He, he did the research early on. Yes. I got on board last, around more or less last August, when down the road from me, um, I'm very close to the Missionary of Charity. They all got sick. They all got COVID. Yep. They're volunteers, they're patients, and the sisters, aged sisters in their early 90s yeah. to people who were very sick and bedridden. And I called a buddy of mine. I wish I could mention his name, but he's under gun, you know, fire. He's a cardiologist. I'll sure. say that much. Sure. And the two of us went around giving ivermectin hydroxychloroquine <laughs> I love in that. 72 hours. Yes. 
they all turned around. I love it. Um, there was one sister that ended up in the ICU mm -hmm. because she's an um, uh, she's a um, she had, um, asthma, oh, asthma, but she got out. And after that, I saw when when I saw that miracle before my eyes. Yes, I was sold, and then I said, "Well, I'm going to try to help as many people as I can." Awesome for this, but it was amazing to see the doors closing of all the, the basic pharmacies yes. basically shutting down, saying no to ivermectin as if it was a, you know, they'd say the horse medicine. And, um, and so we, but I carefully vetted people to make sure, and I ended up, you know, adopting them and carrying them through their health. So we'd get them meds preventively, mm -hmm. but if they got sick, they would email me and say, I mean, I was, at one point in November or so with the Delta, I was getting up early in the morning and going to bed late at night. <laughs> I was basically living in this little office because of um, all the people who are getting sick. Yes. And we even had with truthforhealth.org yep. with Dr. Lee Belit, sure. who is one of my heroes as well. So Peter McCullough is, on, is the medical director. Lee, is she's a um, physician who from um, Arizona who started this nonprofit and it's very Christ centered. Good. The majority of my, the folks I deal with are Catholic, but Lee is, is um, very devout and has helped me a lot with, um, with, you know, questions and answers and guidance and treatment and whatnot. And um, so we, we were able to get, get, we have a nurse on board who, will get home oxygen in 24 hours. So at one point I had about six people on home oxygen mm -hmm. and getting them budesimide and all the treatments that sure. the frontline yeah. doctors and Dr. Um, you know, the Zelenka and Peter McCullough sure. all recommended because they're all sort of in unison, really their, their direction. Yeah. So we were, we were extremely successful with helping people and it was very, as much as it was a, I felt like I was in the middle of the plague out in the streets, helping what getting people <laughs> off the streets. It was, you know, that's exactly how I felt. I said, what the heck yeah. am I doing? Yeah. But um, it was a, uh, now it's all almost all over and people are now responding with a lot of thank yous because they were able to get through. And a lot of it, quite honestly, is I think very um, like a evil spiritual war fair you bet so i prayed over one guy who was an, a patient in Wa washington state his wife was called in he got acute covid uh, not vaccinated she got uh, we were, weren't able to get him on ivermectin hydroxychloroquine quick enough in the er the icu doctor said oh, if you want to see your husband before we take him off the ventilator um you better come in now so she calls me, I see through this networking, people end up hearing about me. She um, she called me. So she's in her this like moon outfit next to her husband who's on the ventilator. Oh, and the intensivist is there. And so I was able to speak to her. Now I put my doctor's hat on. I said, why do you want to extubate him? And, and I said, Does, is his renal function off? Is his kidney function? No, no, no. And I said, well, hold tight. This is, he's going to get over this. He's just on the, on the peak here. Yeah. And then I prayed, I asked the blood of Jesus to wash through his system and that the, any evil COVID spirit that has permeated through his being to get out, mm -hmm. almost like a, 
like an exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> and three weeks later, he was home awesome. with his family. <laughs> Sister, Great keep doing what you're doing in the sense of getting out there. And now, are you still doing surgery? Someone just texted me a question about that. Are you still actively? Yes. God love you. Yeah. Yeah. God love. You know what, sister? We only have. How can people help you? Give us yes. your order of your your sisters oh. and how people can support you. We pray. Um, well, I'm always embarrassed with that question. Uh, we're the little workers of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to just text you my uh, or yeah, email actually, you my you address? Just, yeah, you can do that because I want people to support this order. I I Thank love what you said about Vatican II. I call that will the real Vatican II please stand up. And it sounds like you guys are doing that. So keep it up. All we need, all we need is this, you know, give us your first daughter. We'll get the habits ready. There you go. Vocation. Pray for vocation. That's the one thing for us is pray for vocations. Well, we will. And you know what, sister, that's something that's very important here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, because we do only on Thursdays, we pray for all the priests and bishops and the Holy Father, because it's the commemoration of Holy Saturday, Holy Thursday, with the institution of the Eucharist and the priesthood. But we have people at our chapel that's behind me uh, always praying. We have masses offered here. And, uh, yes, uh, we will continue to pray for vocations to the little sisters. You little guys, workers. Little workers. Little <laughs> My workers. mom does the same thing. She calls, sends a check to little sisters. Oh, that's but, funny. But yes. I will say one last thing. I think the, the source and summit of our power and our strength yes. is the most blessed sacrament. And our founder said, it's before the most blessed sacrament that I found the love of Jesus and the power of that love. I love it. And we have been now, our whole community is not like this. Uh, we do have daily mass, but we've been blessed since April of the beginning of COVID yep. to have the traditional Latin mass. Wow. Our convent has a traditional Latin mass every day. Oh, and we have, sister, we have adoration three times a day. Sister, you need to text me. I'm going to send you Bishop Athanasius Snyder's book called The Catholic Mass, if you don't already have it. I want to send it to you. He's going to be on our show next week. But I love him. Yeah, he's one of my favorite bishops. He's a good man. Sister, yes. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us here on the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. I'm going to ask Jesse a question. Sister's going to know the answer. Jesse, what state should we be living in? Live in a state of grace. Don't live in the state of mortal sin. Pray your rosary every day. Read your Bible every day. Go to Mass as often as possible. Be holy or die trying. And remember, our lady said at Fatima, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices for them. Would you please do that for us and for the salvation of souls? That's what we do here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Sister Didi, God love you and your community. Thanks again for joining us here on the Terry and Jesse Show. God love you. you. Full sheen ahead here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. <laughs>